Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Um, open your Bibles to John chapter 7 this morning. John chapter 7, as we continue the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, we find ourselves in John chapter 7, and uh, we'll be going through John chapter 7 and 8 uh, as we journey through Jesus' life chronologically. Um, we'll, we'll be popping around the different Gospels as we, as we have been, but uh, we're going to spend a good bit of time here in John in the next coming several months um, as John kind of picks up some spots. There's about a six-month uh, gap between John chapter 6 and John chapter 7, so we're being John chapter 7 for, for quite a long time, and, um, or d- the book of John for quite a long time. But uh, uh, last time we got together, two weeks ago, we were studying... Um, the first 14 verses of, of John um, chapter 7, and we found that Jesus had, uh, you know, he wasn't ready to go to Jerusalem, and then he realized that it was time for him to go to Jerusalem, and so he started to make his way down to Jerusalem, not the way that his brothers had uh, wanted him to go, but the way that he felt the Lord was calling him to go. It wasn't in their timing, but it was in his timing. And so as Jesus, you know, started to travel down Samaria, we find that he, he, he camped himself out in one of those towns and they rejected him. And, and, uh, and, and so where we pick it up this morning is where Jesus has now found him, now actually arrived in Jerusalem. It's about halfway through the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths, same thing. And that's where we pick it up this morning. So if you would uh, stand with me, we're going to read John chapter 7 beginning in verse 14. Where it says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man is learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Uh, Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. and, And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken... Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? All but we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears... No one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come in my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said when the Christ appears, he will do more signs than will he will he do more signs than this than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, 
I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to, uh, to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for the truth that it holds in it for each one of us individually. And we pray, God, that you would just draw us to yourself, God, this morning through this passage, that you would speak into our lives, that you would help us to see clearly the plan that you have for us, the plan of coming to know Jesus as Savior, and then the plan to be a a voice in the wilderness that's crying out about Jesus and what he's done. So Lord, come now and help us to grow in you this morning. We ask that your spirit would just teach us and that you would just get me out of the way for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've entitled this message, Exposing the Truth. Exposing the Truth, you might think it seems strange to expose truth, but that's exactly what's happening. Jesus was surrounded by a culture and a society that was concealing truth, distorting it, twisting it, and in some cases, completely disregarding it. It sounds a lot like the world we live in, doesn't it? Where we live in a world today where that calls uh, blatant murder a woman's right. Uh, where people parade their immorality in the streets of our cities and gain the cheer of the majority. According to a recent uh, Pew Research polling, 55% of Americans support a gay marriage. Even uh, we've even made up terms for distorting and concealing truth. It's called being politically correct. Uh, we 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 aren't supposed to say anything that would be offensive, and and so in order to do that, you have to distort the truth. Sometimes you have to completely hide it. You have to twist it or conceal it um, so that it doesn't seem so bad. Let me give you some examples of this. When someone's losing their hair, we aren't supposed to say that they're balding. We're supposed to say that they're um, follicularly challenged. Follicularly challenged. That's kind of a hard thing to say. Well, when someone's uneducated, we aren't supposed to say that they're ignorant. We're supposed to say that they're factually unencumbered. Factually unencumbered, yeah. If someone's lazy, oh, we're, we're not supposed to say they're lazy. We're supposed to say they're motivationally dispossessed. Motivationally dispossessed. You, you know, when people are poor, they're just economically marginalized. If someone's ugly, this is great. They're just under-attractive, of course. Of course, they're just under-attractive. So, so we, we basically made a way to, 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 to take the truth out of everything, to, to, to take the sting out of the truth. And, and, and I'm all about being, you know, being on, as non-offensive as possible, but not at the sake of truth, not to take the truth away, because the truth sometimes is meant to hurt. The truth is sometimes meant to sting a little bit to help us change our course, isn't it? To help us to, to know that there's something not, not right about that. Listen, if I'm fat, just call me fat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's not beat around the bush. And let's not say he's portly. Amen? Let's just say, hey, man, that guy is fat. He needs to do something about that. Let's not beat around the bush. Again, there's ways we can say that are, that are maybe a little bit nicer, but let's not beat around the bush. That's what we're doing as a world today and a society today. And what happens is when you beat around the bush, then people just start to hide behind the bush and then truth gets completely lost. And that's what's happened. That's what's happened. That's the kind of society Jesus was also living in. A little bit different context. 
was religious uh, truth that was being, um, you know, kind of hidden from the people. Almost in the same way of a Catholicism kind of way of, you know, the, 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 the religious leaders were dictating to the people what the truth was. They had no capacity to be able to say, no, that's right or wrong. They depended upon those rabbis to tell them what was true because they were the learned ones. They were the studied ones, right? So they would sit and they would wait. And so these people just heaped heavy, heavy burdens upon the people. Here's what truth is. You, you know, in order to um, obey the Sabbath, you have to do all these 57 things. And if you violate one of those 57 things, then you violated the Sabbath. They added to God's word so tremendously that Jesus says that they, they just were burdening the people. They were doing, they added so much that they themselves couldn't even keep the word. And Jesus will show us that this morning. Jesus was dealing with a culture and a world that was distorting and twisting the truth to the point that Essentially, they had made up all kinds of man-made traditions. And, and God's word will expose that truth to these people. So as Jesus came into Jerusalem, and he began to teach in the synagogue. He was exposing the truth. He was letting them know what the truth really was. In John chapter five, uh, 7, verses 14 through 36, we find Jesus exposing the truth to a mixed crowd of people in, in the temple. I've divided up these verses into four sections. Uh, first, as it relates to exposing the truth. First, Jesus is exposing the truth about temple teachers. Secondly, he's exposing the truth about faulty interpretations of the law. Thirdly, he's exposing the truth about the Christ. And fourthly, he's exposing the truth about God's timing. First, exposing the truth about uh, temple teachers. Look at verse 14 with me. Jesus comes in in the middle of the feast and he, he, he goes straight to work. He doesn't waste any time. He goes straight into the, the, the synagogue, into the temple, and he does what he does best, which is kind of an oxymoron because Jesus does everything best, but just go with me on that. He's, a, he's an incredible teacher, and I believe Jesus loved to teach, and that's what he found himself doing immediately, just getting in the, the, the um, pulpit, if you will, of the synagogue and teaching truth. Because in Jesus' mind, when you are truth, you know that the truth, what the truth has the capacity to do. The truth has the capacity to set people free. Now, when you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, your job is to make sure people know that and you want to expose them to as much truth as possible. So Jesus' ministry was primarily a teaching ministry. Yes, he did miracles, but that wasn't the primary ministry of Jesus Christ. His primary ministry was a teaching ministry because in teaching, he could expose truth, and in exposing truth, he could set people free. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to set people free. I find it interesting, though, that Jesus knows that people want him dead here. This is no, um, no small matter that he walks into a synagogue, right? I mean, generally speaking, you and I don't, you know, we're, we don't find the, the closest group of ISIS members to talk about, about Jesus, do we? No, we, 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 might, we might avoid that. But Jesus goes directly into his enemy's territory and he, and he basically says, I'm going to bring the truth. I'm going to expose the truth. I find that interesting that he didn't avoid and start to sneak around in Jerusalem. But rather, he just went directly in and he started to teach these people. Not because he wanted to be confrontational, by the way. Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, a good religious fight. Yes, that's not what he was doing. He wasn't religiously fighting. He was going in because he wanted to expose the truth. But we need to understand this. Not everybody wants the truth exposed, do they? 
Not everybody is, desires to see truth. Many people want to live in their lies about their religion, about their relationships, about the way that they're living their lives. Some will hear and change. We see that in the passage. But not everybody. Because not everybody wants to hear truth. You see, it really comes down to a matter of, do I really want to know? Because the Bible tells us, if you seek God and you're really desiring to know, He'll show you. There's no question about it. He will show you. He'll show you who He is. Do you exist, God? It's not, do you exist, God, and then that's the afterthought. It's, do you exist, God, and I'm taking steps to find out, do you exist, God? That's what it means to seek God. If you're seeking truth, then truth will, will, will come to you, and you'll know that it's truth. Not everybody wanted to change in that place, but it all comes down to the condition of the heart. Jesus taught differently than every other temple teacher in that place. From day one, when Jesus stepped onto the stage, people saw that there was something different about the way that He taught. Because He taught with authority. Jesus didn't get up and do what everybody else was doing in that time. Every other rabbi would get up and it was just some sort of mixture of reading Scripture and quoting some uh, one camp or another of, of these other rabbis uh, ideas on the passage, never really definitively saying this is what it means. When Jesus stood on the stage, he says, this is what it says, and this is what it means. And people marveled at that. People were blown away that Jesus Christ could stand up on the stage and tell them what it meant, not quote somebody else, but tell them with authority, this is exactly what this means. He didn't quote anyone else. He spoke the words that the Father gave him to speak. When you encounter opportunities to tell people truth, don't quote other men. Quote Jesus. Don't quote other people. Don't say Calvary Chapel says this or Pastor Tim says that or whoever you listen to. Don't say that they say this. What does the Word of God say? Because it's the authority. Uh, Jesus spoke the words of His Father. Now, I find that interesting. He, didn't, he had authority, right? He had all, all the authority. All authority had been given to me, Jesus said. The Father had given Him all authority and yet He spoke the words that were given to Him. The Spirit of God inside of us Will, will give us words to speak. And guess what? We're accountable to speak those words. Listen, don't quote other people. Quote Jesus said. Uh, Jesus often said, it is written, didn't he? He was quoting God's word. The word quoting God's word. You and I, that's the example for us. We quote his word. And I'm not saying you can't quote other people. I'm saying spend your time knowing what this says and less time memorizing what everybody else says it says. You hear me? Because there's power in His Word. His Word is, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the capacity to be a discerner in the hearts and the minds of people. So when you bring the Word, it's like, whoa, that's incredible. The Word in and of itself, just full power, has capacity to bring people to their knees, to bring tears to their eyes, because it's powerful. It's alive. Quote His Word. Jesus, when he stepped up into that place and he began to teach, they're like, this homeboy can teach. And guys outside were selling shirts, you know. Jesus is my homeboy, I don't know. But, but the reality is, is that, man, they saw something different in his teaching. But they were perplexed at the very same time. 
they were saying, how in the world can this man stand there with such authority, with such understanding, when he's not sat under one of the rabbis? How, how is that possible? That Jesus Christ could stand there and speak with such clarity of the word as it is written and then divide it correctly and it pierced the soul of the people. How is that possible? He's never studied before. Whoa, that's crazy. They were perplexed by that. The reality in what is being said here is, listen, you don't have to be an enrolled seminary uh, student in order to be a student of the Scriptures. You don't have to be enrolled in some religious school to be taught religious things in order to be able to teach the truth. You don't. And you know that's encouraging to me because I never went to seminary. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go and... Um, you know, I didn't go to traditional format of how somebody ought to go when they're called, you know, and it's oftentimes you hear when, when you're a pastor and you're meeting other people and you're like, hey, where'd you go to seminary? Uh, and, and it's almost like there's a, an awkward pause. Well, I didn't. Well, neither did Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't either. So I feel that I'm in good company. You know what I mean? Check it out. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John. They're before the, the same people that Jesus was speaking to. And they spoke with such authority and such clarity that it said that they knew that they were uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. That's all I need. That's all I need. I just want people to know that I've been with Jesus. You know, I, we don't need a piece of paper that says that we know things. You know, that's okay. And, and I'm not discounting that. That's not wrong. That's great. That's a conventional way, and God may call people to go down that road sometime and get that. And I, who knows? I may do that at one point in my life. I don't know. Whatever the Lord would lead me to do. But here's the reality is credentials don't make the man speak truth. You understand what I'm saying? Just because, I don't care how many letters you have behind your name. That doesn't mean you have the authority or the handle on truth. I don't care if you have a PhD in theology. I don't care if you have a PhD in Greek or Hebrew or whatever. That doesn't mean you have a correct handle on the truth. Amen? Because there are many, many people that have those things that don't rightly divide the word. That don't even look at the word. In fact, what happens is these really smart people get so smart that they believe that God's word isn't even absolute anymore. Because we're so smart now that we've elevated ourselves above God. Oh my goodness. Because you have a piece of paper that says you're super smart. Whoa. Jesus had no papers, but he had credentials. He, Jesus said, listen, don't look at the piece of paper. Don't look at the man that you sat underneath, but look at the message of the man. Look at the doctrine of the man. What's being taught, that tells you whether this person is speaking on God's behalf or not. Not letters behind a name. Jesus was learned. And I want you to hear that. Jesus was learned. Like he, it's just not, he just wasn't God and had to download. He is God. But, but when he stepped into earth, he learned. He was learned. And check this out. This is a really cool verse. Uh, Isaiah records it for us. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4. I believe this is about Jesus. It's about the Messiah. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain them with a word, him who is weary. Listen to this. Morning by morning he awakens, that's Jesus, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Whoa. Jesus would echo the same words there. He would say, I don't say the things, I say what I'm told to say. Morning by morning. 
Jesus would wake often and early in the morning and he would go find himself a quiet place and he would sit at the feet of his father and he would incline his ear and he would say, you tell me what to say. I want to know. Not that Jesus was, you know, didn't have the capacity, but that's how he chose to learn. He, again, he subjected himself to the same Holy Spirit you and I have, the same teacher. And he taught this incredible way. What can we do if we would really submit ourselves to the Lord? I suggest the same things Jesus did, and he said that himself, even greater. Why? Because we have God in us. As Christians, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have the teacher in you. You can sit at the feet, and you can, if you incline your ear, he will tell you what to say. If you're struggling today, you don't know how to minister to somebody, incline your ear to the Lord. Ask him, Lord, how, what, what can I say to these things? He will, he will give you the words to speak. If you find yourselves confused this morning and you're asking for understanding, uh, maybe a little less of this and a lot more of this, and just listen to what he has to say. Oftentimes we're going to the Lord and we're just speaking and speaking and speaking. He's saying, man, I, I, I really want to work, <laughs> but you won't let me because you won't shut up. You know, not that God would say that to us, but oftentimes we're so busy, you know. We're just so busy telling him everything like he doesn't know. Instead of sometimes we ought to just sit down at his feet and just say, God, I'm, I'm here with your word and I, you know my circumstances and I'm asking you to work. And just let, it be, let him start to speak to you. Just incline your ear. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 3 says, incline your ear and come to me. There's an activeness in that. There's a stepping into the Lord in that and saying, Lord, my ear's inclined. That's one action. Action number two, I'm coming to you too. And I'm sitting at your feet. And I want to know what you have to say. Jesus was filled that way. That's the way that he learned to speak. He was learned for sure. Well, unfortunately in Judaism, in the high church of Christianity as well, if you don't have credentials, it doesn't matter how well you teach, you're still considered to be lesser. Your words are considered to be opinion and they have no authority. Listen, these religious men couldn't refute Jesus. They couldn't refute Jesus' teaching, so they turned to his credentials to discredit him. But understand, credentials don't automatically equal truth. And that's what we just talked about. The message is what matters. Credentials don't validate the man. The message validates the man. All we need to do is to take a look at the doctrine of a man to know whether or not truth is being taught. That's what Jesus said. Take a look at my message. That's what he just got done saying. Hey, look at my message. Look at what I'm saying. Who is it bringing glory to? That's how you know. That's the identifier. Look at the doctrine. Secondly, look at who it's pointed to. Look at who the message is pointed to. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. And he probably paused for a second and looked up at all the teachers. You seek your own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Look at the focus. If anyone's will... It's to do the will of God. In other words, if you have any interest at all of hearing from God, then you, all you have to do is look to me. Because I'm speaking on His behalf. I'm speaking for His glory and by His authority. 
Jesus says, uh, you know, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 49 and 50, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a command, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his command is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus at any point could have said, you don't understand who I am? Why don't you get on your knees before me and I'll show you at any point in time? But that would be pride. And Jesus was humble and he submitted himself because he knew that God had a plan for him. And he didn't let him, his own emotions get in the way of that plan. He was a man, you know. And he was tempted just like you were tempted, the Bible says, but he failed not. He did it perfectly. And there were times, no doubt, when you would see the arrogance of these religious leaders. Jesus stepping down from heaven. I wonder at times what that would have been like for him. Oh, I ought to. But he held himself back. He said, no way, man. Because I'm not going to wreck the plan that the Father has. I'm going to walk. I'm going to do it perfectly. Because that's what it requires. In order for me to be the Savior of the world, I have to be perfect. And he tells us that exactly here. He tells us that he is perfectly. He is perfect. He said, listen, I am true. If anyone speaks on his own authority, then he speaks for his own glory. But if he speaks on the authority of God and, and he speaks on his glory, then he is true. Jesus is true. Jesus is the truth. Not only that, Jesus goes on to say, there is no falsehood in me. Now, I, don't, I can't say that about myself, and I know you can't say that about yourself, but Jesus could say that about himself. He could say that about himself because it was true. He's absolutely perfect in everything that he did. There is no falsehood in me. Hashtag, I'm perfect. I I'm perfect in teaching. I'm perfect in living. I'm perfect in loving. Does that count for credentials, by the way? Does that count for anything? Jesus said profoundly, I'm perfect. I don't need to sit under the feet of Gamaliel. I'm sitting under the feet of my Father in heaven who is speaking the words that I must speak. Uh, side note, interesting enough, the Apostle Paul at this very moment when Jesus is teaching is sitting at the feet of Gamaliel learning learning the religious traits. He, the one that would write the majority of the New Testament that God would interrupt His plans on the way to Damascus. But He was learning traditionally like everyone else. And He became like everyone else. A persecutor of the church. But God rescued Him. Interesting enough, He was sitting at one of the most prestigious teacher's feet learning as Jesus stood up and said, I sit at the feet of the Father. Don't look at the credentials, but the message, the doctrine of the man. That's what will tell you what, what, uh, whose authority he is speaking and then also where the message points. Who's getting the glory? Is the Father getting the glory or is man getting the glory? There's a lot of teaching and preaching out there, guys, in this day and age where the message is pointing to man. And listen, when the message is pointing to man, when the message comes from man and it's pointing to man, it has no authority. You understand it has no capacity to change lives because it's not from God. Only God's words can transform a life. Listen to who you're, who you're, or listen to the words that are being spoken. 
Does it bring God glory? Is it all about Jesus? Is the message all about him? Because that's all we have, guys. And that's all we need. Jesus goes on, that is the truth about temple teachers. They're all about themselves. They're all about their own glory. They're all about concealing truth and being in control of all that and being the originators of truth. And Jesus said, man, I'm no originator. I just speak what I'm told to speak. Secondly, Jesus wants to expose the truth about faulty interpretations of the law. He goes on in verse 19, Has not Moses given you the law? Now, when the, when the Jews hear that word, the law, ears perk up. Well, what is he going to say? Because the law was incredibly important to these guys. It was the way that they would um, rightly stand before their God. By the law, by doing things, by you know, making sure they adhered to those 413 or how many of or 600 and whatever it was that they, of these man-made laws, by the way, that they had done themselves. Jesus says, Man, let me show you something about your interpretations of the law. They're incorrect. He tells them right off the bat, you want to talk about um, ruffling some feathers. He goes, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. None of you. None of you. Those words, no doubt, pierced the hearts of those who thought they were the most righteous in that place. What do you mean, none of us? Don't you know who I am, Jesus? Wait, isn't that pride? That's sin. Yeah, exactly. None of you. None of you keeps the law. Jesus was exposing their inability to keep the law. And yet he just said about himself, what did he say? I am true. And in me is no what? Falsehood. Oh, I keep the law. But you guys don't. And see, your problem is that you think that I have broken God's law, but actually I've broken man's law not God's law, because you have an incorrect interpretation of God's law. When Jesus said to them, none of you keeps their law, no doubt they were ready to fight Jesus because Jesus was exposing the truth about these religious leaders. And there are many people in this day and age that want to heap on legalisms upon the people of God to say, oh, if you don't do this and you don't do that, then there's, there's no way you can have a, um, you know, relationship with God you know that that's why we have so many denominations these days right it's because when somebody doesn't agree with something they just start a denomination you know you know the Baptists you know originally why they're called Baptists because they believe that salvation came through baptism that's why they're called Baptists you know uh, when, when you look at like um, you know Methodists why are they called Methodists because they they uh, they were they follow John Wesley right it was the, they, they were actually, the word Methodist literally came from the concept that they, the methods that Wesley used to reach people in the church, that's why they're called Methodists. It was their different doctrines of how they, you know, they were following man. We're following man. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with denominations. I'm just saying that didn't, isn't there a teaching in, in the book of 1 Corinthians? about not following man. I'm not of Paul. I'm not of Apollos. I'm not of this person. I'm not of that person. I'm just a student of Jesus, man. I want to sit at Jesus' feet. I want, to, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. And you know what? Because I don't have some denominational name doesn't mean that I'm not saved because I'm saved by Jesus Christ and Him alone and by no other name. Uh, Jesus told them, none of you keeps the law. And in fact, you're about ready to violate one of the big ten because there's murder in your heart. You want to kill me. 
And now understand, not everybody un understood that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. The, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jesus is at this point in time, would be the most attended feast for some reason. It was the feast where the, where the children of Israel would sit under tents during, for seven days and they would, they would leave the, the tent open just a little bit on the top so that they could look out at the stars and they would teach their families about God. But it was the whole point of that feast was as the children, of, uh, they were remembering the 40-year wander as the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and they were going into the promised land. They were remembering what God did during that time. And they were sleeping under the stars just like their, um, their forefathers did under the tents. You know, that they didn't build houses, they had tents. And so that, that's the whole point of this feast. And people would come from all, who doesn't want a great camping trip? You know what I mean? Everybody wants to come and set up a tent on, on the streets and hang out and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was the most attended feast. So people would come from all over the place. Not everybody had been there for the past year and a half and heard the buzz about Jesus and what he had did. You know, the real issue, what Jesus did, which created them to want to kill him, number one, John chapter 5 tells us, but it was that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And that's what he's going to talk about here in a second. He healed a man on the Sabbath. And that was violating man's law. Not God's law, man's law. Okay, but also in doing so, he called um, God his father, making himself equal with God, essentially calling himself God, and that was a problem for them. So that was blasphemy. Those are the things that Jesus would stand for, trial for, by the way. Blasphemy. You know, but, but the interesting thing here is that Jesus would now tell them, you think you're standing, you know, you think you're holding fast to, to Moses' law, but you're not. First of all, you want to murder me. And second of all, you're not correctly interpreting it. You're telling me that, you know what, if a, if a person is born, okay, we ha you, you've give, been given circumcision. Circumcision is cutting off of the flesh on the eighth day of a, a male child. Leviticus chapter uh, 12, verse 3 tells about that. But here's the deal is you, that's part of the law. And if that eighth day falls on a Sabbath day, you're going to obey the law, aren't you? And everybody's like, yep, because we obey the law, Jesus, because that's how we find favor with God. And Jesus says, but how can you say that? How can you say that, uh, you know, you, how can you honor the circumcision on the eighth day if it falls on the Sabbath? And then you're telling, which, by the way, hurts the body to cut off the flesh would hurt the body. It, it got hurt. I got I'm sorry for those little guys that have to go through that, you know. But, but, on, but, but, but you're telling me that I have violated the Sabbath by making the body well? That makes no sense. He's giving them logic even. He said, think about this. You're telling me that by hurting the body, you're obeying the law, but by me making the body well, that I'm violating the law? That makes no sense. That's illogical. That, because man's rules are illogical. They're illogical. They don't make sense. Because eventually you run yourself into a loop that you can't get out of like this. All it takes is somebody who understands like Jesus to show them the error of their way. You guys have faulty interpretations of the law. I'm trying to help you understand that. I, I, now, now here's the deal. Look how Jesus speaks to them. He's not condemning them. That's what I find interesting. He's not, these are the religious leaders and I think that he was the hardest on them, by the way. But in his speaking to them, his heart towards them, I believe, is to reveal the truth. He's the truth. He wants them to know the truth. And so when you have, when you 
talking to somebody that has a faulty interpretation or they have a misconception or they don't quite understand the way that you understand, we need to present the truth the way Jesus presented the truth, and that's in love. Jesus is saying, look, guys, I'm just going to ask you some questions. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm just going to say, hey, let's just, let, let, me just, let me let you logically work this out in your mind. So you cut off flesh and you hurt the body on the Sabbath, but I make the body whole. And how does that work again? Yeah. What we can do when we find ourselves in those situations where we're, we're talking to somebody, we're not seeing eye to eye with them on a particular issue, we can start to ask them questions. How did you, how did you come up with that? I mean, where is that at in the Word? Show me where it says that or, you know, point it back to truth. Point it back to truth. Make a person defend what they believe. You believe this. How can Jesus be perfect and be Savior? And the Bible says that he's God, but you're saying he's not. Where, where did you ever come up with the concept that Jesus wasn't God? How did you come up with that? I don't know. That's just really hard to think. You know, I mean, okay. So just in there, that's where you came up with it in your mind that, you know, because it's really hard to hold on to. But when something says something, you can't just change it. You know, when it says that he's God, you can't just change it. And so you point him back to truth lovingly. Not you're wrong and you're going to hell. Because we're good at that one. That's like the, that's like the go-to pocket verse. You know, you're wrong. You're going to hell. Where did Jesus say that? I don't remember. But um, ask questions. That's what kind of what Patty was telling us last week, you know. Ask questions about these people to these people. Help them to get to the point where they understand where their logic came from. Where did their belief system come from? And then you can point them to truth. Once they realize that they've made up something or they just heard it and went with it because it sounded good in the moment. Hey, I like the way that that sounds. I'm going to adapt that into my life. Do what Jesus did. He exposed the truth about their faulty interpretations by making them think about what they believed. Thirdly, Jesus wants to expose truth about, Christ, about the Christ. Look at verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this man, is not this the man whom they um, seek to kill? Now those people who had been in Israel during that time, who had lived in Jerusalem, they heard the buzz about Jesus. They knew what the issue was. They saw the uh, wanted signs in Jerusalem, you know, if you've seen this man call the Pharisees, you know, kind of thing, they knew what was happening there. They knew that, that um, Jesus was uh, going to be arrested and that he was going to be killed because that was the buzz of the town. And, and so now they're, now they're speaking up. They're saying, hold on a second. This whole thing doesn't make sense to me because Jesus, who they, they want to kill, is standing up there now and he's speaking freely. Um, they want to kill him, but they're letting him speak. I don't get it. Maybe they think that he's the Messiah. Maybe he is the Messiah. And all of a sudden, there, there's some reality of maybe thinking, hey, maybe this is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? They wonder and they ponder for a second. I wonder... If that is the Christ, oh, wait a second. Someone pipes up from the side and says, yeah, but, you know, here's the problem with that is that we, know where, we won't know where the Messiah's come from. So can't be the Messiah because we know where this man's come from. 
well, hold on a second. Where'd you get that? Well, let's, let's step back into the point number two, faulty interpretations of the word. Uh, you know, okay, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, uh, they thought, meant, speaking of the first coming of the Messiah, that said that, that, that basically the messenger of God would appear in the temple with no pre-announcement or anything, just boom, he was there. That's how they thought the Messiah was coming. That doesn't sound like the first coming of Christ, but it sure sounds like the second coming of Christ. Their eschatological timelines were all messed up. They didn't understand there was two comings. They didn't understand that aspect of it. They didn't get that, so they started to make sense of their own. You know, they looked at the word themselves and said, okay, well, we think that this is the way the Messiah is going to come, and that's what they were looking for. Not everybody believed that, but many, many people in that day believed that the Messiah would just pop in one day. Hey, I'm here, guys. And they're like, whoa, he is the Messiah because we don't know where he's from. You know, couldn't Satan do that? Couldn't Satan just pop in? Isn't that what will happen? Wait, isn't that what will happen in the end times? Uh, in, in, the, in the tribulation period when the Antichrist just pops in and all of a sudden he surfaces out of nowhere? Yeah. It, it, the enemy could do that. But anyway, they thought that that was the case. Uh, didn't the Bible, didn't the Old Testament speak about the birthplace of the Messiah? It sure did. Micah chapter 5 verse 1 tells us that, that exactly, or Micah 5 2, I'm sorry, tells us that the birthplace of the Messiah would be what? Bethlehem, right? Wait a second, where is Jesus born? Bethlehem, okay. But we know where he's from, man. You know, that's just a big problem. M multiple scriptures declare the Messiah to be despised and rejected. You read through the Old Testament, you can read all these different scriptures about the Messiah, how he's going to be treated by people. Where was Jesus raised? Wait, Nazareth, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is what Nathaniel said in John chapter 1, verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because those people were despised and rejected. The Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. The scriptures were pointing to Jesus. They just didn't didn't quite make it. They didn't quite understand it. Some of them didn't. Some of them believed. Jesus perfectly fit the messianic prophecies it, it, along with all the things that he did. Making the sick well. You know, making the, the blind see and the lame uh, well and the, the, the deaf hear. He did all of that. And Jesus hearing these guys, you know, bantering back and forth about how, oh well he couldn't be the messiah because you know we know where he is and he and and it says that he, he pops in in this moment where the excitement is met with disappointment because they think that they there's no way he could possibly be the messiah and he proclaims now that word literally means he cried out with a loud voice oh you know me could you imagine jesus just popping into the conversations that are happening oh you know me Oh, you know where I'm from, huh? Oh, did you know that I was born of a virgin? Think about that for a second. Where am I from? Tell me where I'm from, Jesus says. Again, pointing them back to truth. You have faulty understanding. Let me reveal truth to you. You don't know anything about me. You think you know much about me? You think you know my origin? Let me tell you my origin. I'm not from here. I'm not from here. I'm from there. I'm from heaven. I came into this world from the Father because I have been sent by Him. 
Who of you can say that? Who of you can say that you came from heaven to earth and you've been sent by the Father Himself and by the way, you're going back to Him? Oh, none of you? Okay. But you know who I am and you know where I'm from. Could you imagine that conversation? I can't wait for DVR in heaven, man. <laughs> I'm going to sit there and watch this part where Jesus declares to them, you don't know who I am. I bet you he did it with a smile on his face, though. Not arrogantly or not pridefully. But definitely, a little facetiously, really. Wait, you guys must have sat under the teachers in this day too. You must be learned too. Jesus says, you guys don't know anything about me. You don't know where I'm from. I tell you that I'm from the Father. Now that should create much, much questions in these guys' minds right there. Whoa, maybe we don't know so much about this guy. He exposed the truth about himself. The only one that wasn't confused about who he was, who Jesus is, and where he was from that day is Jesus. And listen, Jesus revealed who he was and where he's from. And maybe you're here today and you don't know. You're asking yourself those questions. Where am I? Who, who am I from? Where am I from? Why am I here? Listen, I, I can tell you, I can point you to Jesus and he'll answer those questions for you. He'll answer those questions for you. You just got to look to Jesus. He's the only one with the answers. Listen, the world will tell us all kinds of reasons why we're here, where we came from. It's not true. Jesus will tell you where you're from. He'll tell you what the, he'll tell you the plan that God has for you, and he will tell you where you're going. He will be honest with you. If you're not in relationship with him, he'll tell you. He'll draw you into himself because he desires to be with you forever. But he will tell you, and he will lead you, but you have to seek him. You have to seek his face. Apparently, when you make claims about being God and Messiah, it draws some attention. So verse 30, it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid their hand on him because his hour had not yet come. There's an important truth that's being exposed here as it relates to God's timing in verse 30 here. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus, yet no one laid their hands on him. Did you catch that? They wanted to arrest Jesus but no one laid their hands on him. That's because the father's protection was on his son until his time had come. And listen, the same protection that was on Jesus is on you. You know that? There is no disease that can take your life from the father's hand. There is no car wreck. There is no incident. There's no accident. There's no, there's no, no scenario that um, apart from you yourself giving up your own life, okay? that will allow you to be taken from his hand. He will protect you. He will shield you. But he will never overstep your will. You understand that? Don't you dare ever tempt God. Jesus was stood at the, at the pinnacle of a temple and Satan said, jump off. And what did Jesus say? Don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't tempt him. If Jesus would have jumped off, guess what would have happened? We don't know because he didn't do it. Yes. Good. We don't have to answer that. I was sweating bullets here. I was wondering if somebody's going to answer this. I'm not. I don't know what he would do. But here's the thing. 
The reality is this. God has your life in his hand and nothing can take it from him. And he says, when it's time to go, it's time to go. And that's okay because, listen, when it's time to go, your assignment is over. Your assignment is over and he's saying, hey, it's time to go home. I want to be with you. And God longs for that day. And I know we all long for that day too as Christians. We long to be with our Father because it's a battle every day, isn't it? Every day you wake up, you have to tell yourself, man, I'm going to do my best to beat the heck out of myself today and I'm going to try to live for God as much as I possibly can. And, and it's not that God didn't give us the power to do it. It's that there's still too much of us alive. You know, and that's the issue. But it's a battle every day. And that there's victory to be had, and you can walk in victory, and, and you have all that, but it's not to say it doesn't come without a struggle. It is difficult, and Jesus promised us, difficult is the way, difficult is the path. If we surrender ourselves to the Lord, even those difficulties, man, He'll make us. He'll 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 give us um, joy, and He'll give us um, He'll give us, you know, the capacity to praise Him in those moments if we just look to him. No one laid their hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. In that moment, many people said, man, I, I mean, the, the, the evidence is compelling. What else can I say? Will the Christ do more than this man? I don't think so. I think it's possible that somebody could do as much as this guy has done. Man, I'm just going to believe in him. And it was a simple faith. Did they, doc, did they have all of the doctrine on Jesus here? Uh, did they have it all down for him? No, they barely know where he's from. They just heard him tell them that he's not from here. So they were wrong in that. So they had minimal information and yet they believed. That's faith. That's faith. It's not blind faith, but it's, it's faith. We're never called to blind faith. God will show us the way, but it will always take a, a, a step of faith for us to believe and to receive him. And that's what he says. He, he, he goes on here. Many believed in him. The Pharisees, man, in the meantime, they want to arrest Jesus. And so they're going to send people in. And Jesus pops in again and he says to them, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where, where you come, where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews were wondering what he was talking about. Was he, is he going to go live with the Greeks? Or what, what is he talking about here? He's leaving and he's telling us we can't, we can't find him and that we can't go where he's going. Where could he possibly be going? To heaven. To heaven. And it's, it's impossible for them to go at this point. It's impossible for them to go because they don't believe. And so Jesus, in this moment, I believe that this is a passionate cry from him in the moment right here where he says, seek me while you still can. Seek me while you still can. And there's two Two, two, two levels of that. The physical presence of Jesus in that day is what he was talking about. You know, seek me while you can, while I'm still here because I'm going to be crucified. So seek me while you can. Learn as much as you can from me. But the spiritual application of that word right there is seek me while you can, while you're still alive. Because listen, one day you will pass away. You will die. And you will stand before God. And Jesus is saying, Seek me while you're still breathing today because in your seeking, you will be found. I will show you that you need me, but you've got to seek me. So seek me today, he's telling us. And that goes for 
even Christians. We don't stop seeking him. We keep seeking him. If you're not in relationship with God, there's a different kind of seeking. You're trying to seek him for salvation. But in the Christian life, we're seeking him for sanctification. We're seeking him for that continual working in our lives to make us more like him. He says, seek me while you can still seek me, man. Because in a little while longer, you won't be able to seek me. And listen, there's coming a day when the chapter will close, not just on your life, but on this world. The chapter will close on this world one day. The Bible promises that, and I'm not here to tell you when that's going to happen. But what I'm telling you is that there's an urgency in Jesus' voice right here where he says, seek me while you still can. We will all stand before him one day and we're going to give an account for our life. And if we are not found in him, we will be standing before God on our own merit and we will be wanting. But if we come in clothed in Christ, then he's going to say, enter into your rest. Jesus said, you can't come where I'm going. Only relationship through Jesus Christ opens the door to heaven. He said that himself in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Why couldn't they come? Because they didn't have relationship with the Father through the Son. And that still holds today. You can't, you can't storm the gates of heaven on your own merit. You have to come through Jesus Christ. You can't work your way into heaven. It's by believing in Him and the work that He's done on the cross. Jesus' time had not yet come, but it would come eventually. And that moment when Jesus' time would come, He would pay for your sin personally. He would die on the cross for you personally. He would be crucified for your sin, and then He would rise again from the dead for you personally. And He's saying, you have to believe in that. And I'm not just talking about a, a, a head knowledge of that. I'm talking about a, a laying down my life before you. Here's the deed to my life, Jesus. I sign it over to you. I believe in you that much. There are no other eggs in my basket. You're the only egg, Jesus. That's what he's telling us in this passage. And he's pleading with people, even in this hour. He's saying, seek me while you can seek me. Because in a little while, I'm no longer going to be here. The chapter will close on your life. The chapter will close on this world eventually. He says, seek me now so that you can come where I am going. And trust me, you don't want to miss heaven, folks. You don't want to miss heaven. You don't want to miss being in God's presence in perfection where you truly can worship him the way that you were created to worship him. You don't want to miss that but it will require you to surrender your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word, God, and for the teaching of Jesus here and the fact that he, is, he has given us the truth that he hasn't held back in any way, shape, or form to reveal what is necessary for us. God, we desire to live in truth. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place today, Lord that there would be seeking going on right now. That there would be hearts that are being drawn to you even right now. They're saying, God, I need to seek you for this. God, I need to seek you in this decision. God, I need to seek you in this provision. God, I need to seek you in this need. 
and that we would turn all of our eyes to you, God, that we're not looking anywhere on the horizontal to find an answer for what we need, but we have turned our eyes to you, Jesus, in this place right now, and we're seeking you. Speak to your, your children, God. For those here this morning that don't have a relationship with you, Father, you're calling out their name personally, and you're saying, come to me, Come to me this morning. Seek my face. Accept my son as your Savior and Lord. And in so doing, I will wipe your past away. I will make your present day filled with joy. I will turn your morning into dancing. I will forgive you for everything that you've ever done or you ever will do. But it's going to require full surrender. And as we continue to just pray, if there's anyone in this place today that wants relationship with Jesus, they're saying, God, I believe in you. I, I, I don't even know all about this stuff, but Lord, I'm being drawn to you right now in this, in this moment. And I, I don't, I feel anxious about this, but I want to believe in you. If, there's, if, that, if you're that person today, would you raise your hand? I just want to pray with you. We're not going to call you out and make a spectacle of you, although Jesus was publicly made a spectacle for us, but if you're here this morning, you want a relationship with Jesus, just lift your hand up. God will see you from heaven and he'll forgive your sins. You just come to him by faith. Is there anyone in this place this morning that needs that relationship with God, desires it? God bless you. Is there anyone else? Any, any other person in this place that wants to cry out to Jesus, wants to seek Jesus today, that wants to invite him in their life, not temporarily, but forever, so that we can be with him forever? Listen, everyone in this place is praying for you right now. They're just saying, come on, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Anyone else? For the one that raised your hand, just pray this prayer after me. Father, I come before you today, and I'm asking you to wash me clean of my sin. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he is my Lord, that he is my Savior. I'm turning away from my sin, and I'm turning to Jesus and his works on the cross for me. I invite him into my life to wash me clean and to make me new. I believe that he died on the cross for me and I believe that he rose again from the dead for me and I'm receiving him in now and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.